I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Just before we start the podcast this week, I just want to ask for a small favor, and that's just to give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts if you enjoy the board breakdown. Getting 200 reviews to us would be a massive achievement, and we're really, really close to it. So if you have two minutes of your day and you haven't already please do give us a five-star rating on apple podcasts that helps us get found charted we were a uk top 15 podcast a couple of weeks ago and that's just down to you guys reviewing and listening to the podcast we had over six thousand downloads uh for that podcast and we really do appreciate all the support and um, but let's chat about the podcast this week and middlesbrough won one nil against swansea we dissect that game we chat about rosario jones paddy mcnair and Luke Daniels, and also congratulate Sol Bamba on hitting 200 championship appearances. Uh, we chat about Stoke, and we speak to Ben Rowley from the YYY Files to get a flavour of Borough's trip to the Bet365. And of course, we answer your podcast questions. So this is the Borough Breakdown podcast, and this is all your match day chatter in a pod. Fleming for Craig Hignett. Hit it, Higgy. Higgy hits the track. Oh! coming alive again. Janino wants the ball played to him. Avanelli spots out. Emerson! Hello and welcome to the Board Breakdown Podcast with Johnny, Dana and Tom. We are the Board Podcast that gives you all the Board Master Chat in a podcast. And this week, Chris Wilder got his first win as Borough boss at the Riverside and a 1-0 win over Swansea, courtesy of a goal from Isaiah Jones. Aha. Uh-huh. Uh, as always, guys, Dana and Tom, uh, I want I want you to give me, give me, give me your feelings in three words. Uh, Dana, do you want to go first? I'm just going to describe it as Isaiah Jones. Aha. Uh-huh. Because, of course, he got his first goal, first goal in a Borough shirt, the only goal of the game. And really building off that performance against Huddersfield, in which I also thought he was good. So, yeah, we'll probably just say Zaya Jones, aha. Running down the wing. Uh, Tom, what are you going to be your three words? Uh, my three words are going to be organised, fun and chess. Organised because I think you can see it over the last uh, four games. Every game we are making improvements. Everyone seems to know the roles now, where they're supposed to be. And yesterday just worked perfectly fun because it's it's fun to watch now and chess because 
yesterday was a lot like a chess game between those two teams. I think 1-0, if you're looking at it as a as a neutral from the outside, might not look like necessarily the the best game to watch, but I thought that was absolutely fascinating to watch yesterday, the, the way we were, were setting up, recycling the ball, both teams making minor tactical changes to try and counter each other. I thought it was great to watch, and it's probably one of the ones I've enjoyed more since Karanka was manager, and that's, that's really saying a lot. Oh, that is a compliment indeed. That you know, since the cranker first cranker mention of the podcast, yeah, there. first cranker mention <laughs> as well. And you know, uh, it was well to be fair, cranker's football was fantastic to watch. But Tom, that's really good praise because I know how much you love the the Spanish prince as well. So that mu- that must that must that must be something. Um, but three words I want to go for is Chris Wilder train. Um, I just think the wheels are slowly starting to turn. I think the the last couple of results have been really good. We should have beat Preston. I know it was a bit of a fluke that we lost, but. Again, I, th- I can really see what you're seeing, Tom, in terms of the organisation, the good play that we're doing. Um, and, it's, and, and stylistically, I think we're, we're very, very good to watch and very well drilled as a team. And it's going to be interesting to see how we build on that in, in the coming weeks. But let's break Swansea down then. Um, Chris Wilder opted to make no changes to the 11, which beat Huddersfield last week. But there was three changes on the 18 um, because Joel Umley, Dale Fry and Martin Piero all came in. Mr. Janovic, Olasanya, and Josh Corbin all making way for those three. Uh, Tom, good call from Wilder not to throw Fry and Piero back in straight away. Yeah, definitely. I think, um, as I've said before, I definitely subscribe to the, the philosophy that you never change a winning team. I think it would have been unfair for anyone to lose the place after that performance at Huddersfield last week, but also it does promote good competition for places. Um, you know, Fry and Piero both after going to are going to have to make the most of their chances as they get them and get back into the team, um, which I think we, we spoke about uh, quite a lot last week as well. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, that might potentially help with the injury issues as well, because I know under Warnock, um, pretty much as soon as people came back, they were back in the team. Um, so it might even help to just kind of gradually uh, phase them back into the team as well. Yeah, it breeds like confidence for the starting eleven, but also breeds competition as well uh, across the whole team. Um, but Dana, what's your thoughts on the overall performance? How would you assess it? Because it seemed to be like a game of two halves. You know, Bor had most of the possession in the first half, and then second half, Swansea had seventy-five, well, no, seventy, sorry, seventy-two percent possession, um, which and they pretty much dominated the players. So how would you assess it? It was a performance that was almost a throwback to the Borough of Olds where we were able to grind out results similar to that. And it was, I think I agree with Tom in his description of the game because it was an interesting and intriguing tactical battle. Two teams that wanted to dominate the ball, of course, Swansea did that. I thought our play and possession was was quite sloppy. Uh, but off the ball, we were dogged and I think we earned our luck. We, did, we definitely did ride our luck, but... Ultimately, you've got to be able to to grind out results like that. I know I'm saying a lot of buzzwords here to do with a, a, a very um, dogged, there's another one, uh, 1-0 victory. But that's really what we needed to do. It was a different game to the Huddersfield game. As I said, I think in possession, we weren't as good, but we needed to be good defensively. And I think we were. I know Swansea had 15 chances in that game or 15 shots, should we say, but not a lot of them, I can only really think of that Joel Perot chance where Paddy McNair cleared it off the line, where it was a, a clear-cut opportunity. So that's a real positive to take. And yeah, we, as I said, it was an intriguing battle because I thought Borough were aggressive in our press against Swansea's passing, but there, there were times where Swansea broke through that. Um, ultimately, two teams with high lines and 
I think both teams at times definitely exploited that. We, of course, did with with the goal that we scored. Um, Swansea's finishing, though, was just awful. It was absolutely horrendous. Me and my dad were um, looking at the, the training drills before the game, the shooting drills. They were nailing their shots in the top corner most times and Borough were hitting the net, but the wrong net, the net behind the goal. And I was thinking that that might be an indication as to how the, the game's going to go. But it was actually the, the other way around. Of course, Borough didn't actually nail their shots in the top corner every time, but Swansea were just hitting the stands. Uh, their shooting was awful. But yeah, a really good victory for Borough. And, and you need to you need to beat those beat teams in around you and also win in the way that we did yesterday. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, because those type of wins breed confidence throughout the, the team and then also if you're sure that you beat them you can go into any game and try and beat anyone um, and I think the championship's all about that you know it's the most inconsistent league in the world but that the team that does get a bit of consistency do tend to go up but um, just before we touch on the high lines dinner um, Tom how would you assess it I just want to get your thoughts on that uh, pretty much the same I mean like I say, it was uh, it was a real tactical battle between the two teams. Um, you could see pretty much from the start what Borough were trying to do uh, with pressing high up the pitch because um, it was obvious Swansea really wanted to play out from the back and our plan was apparently to, to not let them uh, and, and kind of force them into long balls where we were we had kind of had the superiority in the air. Um, and yeah, I just thought it, it was kind of fascinating to watch between uh, between the two. I think defensively, the reason I, I kind of likened it to, to Karanka Ball in me uh, in me three words um, was because everyone everyone did know where they were supposed to be. I don't think that a few games go under Warnock, McNair's clearing that off the line because I feel like he'd be yeah. somewhere close to the midfield or like tracking back or something. And a lot of their shots, we were keeping them outside the box and not at, not at great angles and forcing them to shoot over, which I thought was a lot like what we did under Karanka. I think if you look at you know, the seasons where we were keeping record numbers of clean sheets. We were, weren't were allowing many shots inside the box. That we, It was all outside the box. And it, it it reminded me a lot of that yesterday. We weren't giving them opportunities to, to create clear-cut chances at all. Obviously, it wasn't our best performance. And I think Wilder said that in his interview as well. But I did think everyone did their jobs, uh, you know, well enough to deserve a win yesterday. The way you're going, Tom, you need to get the Wilder Chiefs out. Just to uh, <laughs> to get people celebrating, but then also dinner as well. Like when Paddy McNeg, you know, put he rift, lifted his fist up. It kind of reminded me of your favorite Borough video of saying, "Come on, the Borough!" Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love that video. We can edit. We can make that happen and edit that. Um, but then let's chat about the 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 high line then in, in the press because we spoke a lot about it last week, and we'll be interested to see how Borough would exploit it. We definitely did with Jones's goal, didn't we? Oh, yeah, 100%. I mean, the way that Swansea play, they have their wing-backs very, very advanced up the pitch. I mean, if you look at the average positions, they're way over the halfway line. And Ryan Manning left so much space for Isaiah Jones, and it was really good work from Bamber as well beforehand. His neat footwork brought him beyond, I think it might have been J.B. Patterson or Joel Perot, I can't remember who it was. And then the ball was, was absolutely fantastic. And it felt like Jones had about 20 years running towards the goal and for Ben Hamer to get beaten at his near post is a little bit a little bit yikes for him but nonetheless it was a re- brilliant moment for for Isaiah Jones and he joins the knee slide club along with Matt Crooks, mm. Marcus Tavernier and Paddy McNair we seem to be building up quite a quite a, an exclusive and elusive club. club for that 
Mm, I know, yeah, like Shithouse Island might have to become yeah. a knee slide island. <laughs> you know Don't worry, I'll get on it. The knee slide club, exclusive members only. Um, but let, let's let's chat about Isaiah Jones a little bit more then, uh, because after the match yesterday, Chris Wilder, you know, he, he had a lot to say around um, Isaiah Jones' performance. He said, Isaiah's played right wing back for us, and I thought he had his best game on Saturday. He's an obvious threat going forward, but I, I think all we... All, all we have to cut him some slack because for the first time in his career, he's been playing a position that's pretty new to him and pretty unique in terms of what we need to play at wing-back. Qualities going forward, end product, pace to get forward and recover. You've got to have a lot of attributes to play in those wing-back positions. I look at the best uh, the best that player in the country, Reese James, and he's a player I've tried to sign in the past. He's in Chelsea's team now and is going forward and has good end product. Uh, pace, good decisions at the top of the pitch and he can defend as well. So there's a lot of learning to go into Isaiah, but he's learned on the job and he's positive, a likable boy. He has to have that thirst for information and willingness to learn as well. If he does that, he becomes another asset for the football club, another young player that can be a part of the group going forward. So a few glowing references there and also saying that he has to work a little bit hard on the training ground. Tom, you'll absolutely love this. Isaiah Jones was higher than Mark Bowley yesterday on the average position, so he is the new parrot. Um, <laughs> but how do you think Isaiah Jones is fair in that wing-back? Because like Wilder said, it's a new position for him. He has to grow into that. Um, but he's shown really promising signs, hasn't he? Yeah, definitely. And I think the the best way of kind of uh, summing up how far he's came in only a few few games is what you just said there about his average position being higher than bowlers. That first game against Millwall, where he was like so far back the pitch, that that reminded me of like my own experience playing um, uh, playing for my school team, where I was playing left wing and got told to like stay near the touchline. So I sit on the touchline and like the players like right over the right hand side, and I'm just took it literally as stay near the touchline, like worst shape for a team ever. <laughs> but I, I feel like that was Holy the same. Tom. <laughs> I feel like it was the same for Jones. I feel like he was probably told, like, there's your dis- uh, defensive responsibilities. You've got to kind of, like, stay back and balance it. And he stayed back to comp- uh, to really kind of compensate for us. And then every game he's came on, um, you know, I thought the defensive shape against Huddersfield was the best it had been so far because he was, like, he was level with baller and back three was, like, all in, in line with each other. And, and yesterday, just, you can see he was being utilised as a threat a bit more yesterday. But it's great to see that he is kind of growing into that position a little bit more. Um, you know, he might have some some bad games uh, going forward. Um, like like Wilder said, he yeah, is learn, learning a new do. position. Um, but I think he's been great at that role so far. Uh, one, one thing I would say about him, uh, I noticed in the Bristol City game, um, he was good in the tackle. Um, so I, I think that is a, an obvious skill he could kind of transfer over to that role as well as as being a threat going forward. His defensive yeah. duties have been really good so far. And I think it's reflected in the numbers of yesterday. I know I throw out a lot of stats every podcast, but he made the most tackles in a game, six, and he won every single one of them. Won the most duels, most foul player. It, he was he was very good, and I think we struck that balance yesterday with Jones. I think second half it was a bit difficult, obviously, because Swansea had the majority of the possession. But defensively, I've been really, really impressed with him. If we can just continue to see that balance between his defensive responsibilities and getting up the pitch, and you know, being the the fearless, bright attacker that he is, then I completely agree with Chris Wilder. We have a really good young asset on our hands. 
Yeah, I absolutely agree. I really like this new wave of wing backs coming through as well. It's just like I just, as for me, I, I, when I did coach, it was it was a lot of three at the backs as well. So, and I used to like playing with the wingers and try to cause overloads and stuff like that. So it, it's it's nice to see it as well. And this this is whole new wave of, of fullbacks coming through in this country is is actually fantastic to see. Um, it just causes so many tactical problems for different managers. But let's chat about the shape really quickly because. We spoke a lot about it in the last podcast. Yes, uh, yesterday was very, very good in terms of our back line. And also, we we had a bit of an expansive uh, setup on the ball. You know, we looked try to stretch uh, Swansea as much as we possibly could um, in the first 45 minutes. Um, and then in the second half, it looked like we tried to, when we didn't have the ball, that press was really, really good. And we tried to force Swansea narrow. And then in the second half, we did tend to see uh, Mac Rams in particular try to play the ball out wide as much as he possibly could and try to get moving in the box because... Really, we were making things really difficult for them. Um, but just a quick comment on the Swansea uh, possession stats in the second half. 72%, an average pass streak of five uh, to Boris three. 621 passes from Swansea uh, yesterday to Boris 299. It's all the passing in the world, um, but Boris' shape reduced the gaps and made it really difficult to play through. But also, Tom, it shows that Passings are not everything in the world. Um, you can dominate as much as you can, but it has to be that killer pass to, to get through teams. But do, but does it show that Chris Wilder is making Borough a little bit more tactically savvy against these type of teams? Yeah, definitely. I think, as, as I said earlier, it just seemed like everyone knew their role in the team and where they're supposed to be, whether that was McNair clearing off the line or, or people managing to cover out wide, force them in narrow and, and just be in the, in the positions to make blocks on the shots or at least close down the angles and make them miss. Um, I thought they were doing that extremely well. Something I noticed again uh, against Huddersfield, which I forgot to mention on last week's pod, uh, our pressing is much better now as well because we were trying to close down passing lanes rather than just close down the player and have it passed around us. Uh, Watmore was a prime example of it. He was, um, he was closing down Huddersfield's keeper last week. Uh, and went to the side to close down a passing lane to one of the centre-backs rather than just running straight at him and have it played around him. I do think there's a, a very noticeable difference with that and also the the, the defensive shape as compared to, to what we've seen under Warnock only a few games ago. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that, that passing lane comment is absolutely spot on. Um, like we were saying, I think if we, if we try to play a very heavy man-marking system against the Swansea side yesterday... I think it could have been three or four, to be honest. Yeah. Um, I think the overloads that they cause and, and and the way that Swansea play is very, very impressive. I'm a, I'm a big fan of how they're, how they're, how they're currently playing at the moment. Um, but Dana, the XG of Borough under, under Chris Wilder is 0.8, um, given that mistakes are probably the reason why we, we were conceding goals. Um, but McNair's block on the line, you know, with his little fist bump in the air saying, come on the butter. Um, does, it, does it show that Borough are improving that game management now. It's just bit by bit, step by step, but there is signs, isn't there, that Middlesbrough are starting to improve that side of things. Yeah, and you know what? I was thinking about this yesterday. When we came up against Sauber Thomas, for example, I remember in multiple podcasts on the Warnock, I was thinking, who's their danger man? Because whoever it is, they're going to get opportunities against us. And as was always said on the podcast, if they've got good off the ball movement, they're going to get in behind and they're going to cause us problems. Sober Thomas, anonymous, completely anonymous in that game. Um, Jed Wallace as well, Millwall, completely anonymous in that game. And 
even yesterday, I think we didn't really allow Joel Perot too many chances, too many clear-cut chances, that is, of course. There is that one that, that cleared off the line, but it does seem as though we're, we're limiting teams' opportunities, and the majority of them are coming outside the box. I think if you look at Swansea's XG from yesterday, if anybody goes on InfoGoal, and you look at the visuals of the, the shots that they had, they were very, very low-quality chances, and a lot of them, or a big portion of them, were outside the box. And, I mean, this is a step. It's not the complete um, turnaround from Borough yet. I think we've still definitely got to eradicate some of that typical Borough-ness that we've seen this season. So we're a long way away from that. But obviously time will, will, will help that to effectively be kicked out of our game. So, yeah, it does seem as though we're getting a lot better at uh, limiting teams' opportunities and also limiting the influence of their their best players. Um, I think yesterday is probably not a great example because I do think that Jamie Patterson did um, also cause us a few few problems. But in terms of shots, I don't think they we were really tested by their their best players um, with too many high quality chances. Yeah, I think Chris Wilder deserves a lot of credit for that as well. I think the way he tactically set four up yesterday. They were very aggressive in the press as well, which I noticed. Um, and it was nice to see. I appreciate now uh, Swansea had a lot of the ball, but the way that Boris shape moving, the way that the new went to press and went not to press, I think it paid real dividends at times. And you look, you're in the championship. You, the quality is not always as good. Teams are going to get chances. No one has ever never has that perfect game. But what you can try and do is mitigate that as much as you possibly can. And, you know, if we d- want to dig that in a little bit deeper and you have that utopia view, um, if you are Chris Wilder and January's coming around, are you looking to get a little bit more quality in up front and try and kill teams off? Because we have shown this season in particular that we haven't been able to kill games off and we miss really clear chances. Um, Tom, do you think we, we do need a bit more quality to try and kill, kill teams yeah, off? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I know we've been linked with uh, Balogun from, from Arsenal. Um, I don't know. I've, I've not, never seen him really play, uh, to be honest, uh, other than knowing that he's absolutely mint on footy manager. Um, <laughs> but if, he, if he's the type <laughs> of striker that we're, uh, that we're looking for to, to try and get him behind, similar to what Watmore is doing, uh, and another option off the bench, because I, w- I would go to when Watmore goes off, seems to be Hernandez, who just isn't kind of great at that role. He keeps going out wide. Um, then yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I think there's there's a couple more positions it will probably be looking to to strengthen as well. Obviously, it's been kind of reported that Jed Spence might come back. I feel like that's probably going to be competition for Jones at the moment. Because um, looking at the last couple of games, I think Dyke still's found his position in in the the right side of that free. Um, and I, I don't think he'd be as effective as a wing back as Spence. Um, Potentially a left wing back as well if Neil Taylor doesn't stick around at the end of his contract in January. Um, and, and yeah, you've got that creativity on both flanks there and and hopefully a couple of strikers to get in behind as well. We definitely yeah. need that similar ilk of striker to what Moore and Sparrow because it does seem as though that is the Chris Wilder way. Obviously, when he was at Sheffield United, you had Billy Sharp and David McGoldrick. McGold- well, Sharp would be the poacher and then McGoldrick would be the one to drop deep. And I think we're seeing that with what Moore and, and Sparrow as well. But then when you bring in on Uche Piezu, Uche, I think, is a good player and he, he's definitely a different type of, well, a completely different type of striker, but he, he just doesn't seem like he suits it. He doesn't suit 
getting in behind. He's more of a let me, you know, a target man, a, a focal point. Ball, ball, yeah. yeah, to pin a, a centre half and then maybe bring others into play. And it just doesn't seem to be the way that we're playing at the moment. So if we could bring in somebody that is someone that is going to use their pace and try to get in behind, like Balogun potentially, then that is definitely the, the route to go down. Because even yesterday, I think Sparrow, he had 11 touches in the game. He wasn't really involved too much. So when that is happening and then when Duncan Watmar is kind of, he looks spent, all of his energy is gone as he was, he was on his feet at the end, then we do need to change it up. But it just doesn't seem like we've got the right striker options at the moment. Just off the, yeah. off the back of that, I had a, a question of what you mentioned about Iqbiar Zoom. Um, it was an argument that was brought up quite a lot uh, under Karanka that we never had a plan B. Would you just keep him around as a plan B as just kind of like that kind of battering ram up, ram up front? Or, you know, it, it's been reported he might move on like in, in January. Would you just kind of like look uh, to just have the strikers that fit into that style? I think your answer is with Uche, I think. And I know that's yeah. a very uh, on the bench answer, <laughs> but I think it's it's entirely dependent on what he wants to do and what his gameplay is going to be like. I think under Chris Wilder, you've got probably a couple of things to, to point out. You've got plan A and you've got, how can I make plan A better? And then I've got plan B. And then that's where Uche is currently sitting. I think Uche is a good player. Like Dan said, I think absolutely he can hold the ball up well. He brings players into the game and, you know, he, he can give more a completely different dimension. Um, but it's entirely what he wants to do. I think, I think Chris Wilder would probably want him around if he, if he, if he needs that plan B, but it's on him. You know, like I think you talk about Josh Corbin, he Josh Corbin needs as many minutes as he possibly can, and he's so young he, he needs. It. I think with Uche, he's a bit older, um, and I think it's up to him. Where's his mentality at? Is he happy to be a plan B? And if he isn't, then fair play to him, go to a different team, and, and we'll look to try and bring someone else in. Um, but it'd be interesting to see what we do there. But we've also got a striker in Tube Rackpom who I think would probably suit Chris Wilder's way just as much. Um, to be honest, I forgot that he was here. <laughs> I mean, well, he's there not you go. on loan, but still. There you go. We've got Tube on loan. But I feel like he could suit the system just as much. So um, it'd be interesting to see how we how we approach it. But Dana, what, what do you think? Would you uh, would you look to keep Uche around? Probably, yeah, because I think there's certain games where he would really suit it, where there's maybe somebody that you're coming up against defenders that might not really want to engage in that sort of battle. So you're making them uncomfortable. So even if he doesn't start the game, he can come on as a, as an option and an alternative option to try to change the game in Borough's favour, potentially for maybe a goal down and you, you want to make the centre halves uncomfortable and you would think pace would make them uncomfortable, but with Uche, he's just got so much muscle, hasn't he? That he's, he's going to cause problems for a centre half. We've seen it this season where he he commits a centre half and he spins beyond them and he has a shot and he will score from that situation. I'm sure of it because he he has and, and he did for Wickham. But I would probably keep him, yeah. But I I completely agree with you. I think it depends on on Uche. Does he want to be a an option off the bench? Because I'm sure in every play you want to play, don't you? You want to start every game. So I'm not sure. I think I, I agree with you. It depends on Uche. Yeah, and, and to be fair, if, if Borough wanted to make a tactical, tactical tweak and uh, play the Christmas tree uh, <laughs> very, uh, um, in the 3-4-2-1 and... and, and what did you call Matt Crooks? Uh, sorry, sorry, the Matt Crooks formation. Um, <laughs> and, and, and have uh, Uche as your target man and then you have Watmore and Sparrow play off him, essentially. Um, you, can, you could do that against a lot of teams, really. I think if you look at the lesser sides, 
who are a bit more physical and you need someone to play that bat and ram and get people in behind, then absolutely you would have Uche in the team. But it's dependent on when we, as and when we probably need that. And I think he did he bring in, um, oh, begins with an M. Uh, uh, McBurney. No, not McBurney. Um, Moussa. Moussa, yeah. Moussa was that similar type of striker, wasn't he? Um, at Sheffield United. So he could potentially play that role, but who who knows? Um, but there is different options, Don, and I think it's just, well, then I guess it's just depending on what, on what what we want to do, um, and what he and what uh what he wants as well because I think he just needs minutes. Um, but let's move to the to the final question uh then because Swansea City penalty or no penalty? Um, I'll have both of your opinions on it, Tom. Swansea penalty, yes or no? Uh, looking back on it, no. But at the time, I, I honestly I was that far away from it. Uh, that I couldn't really tell and my heart was in my mouth because I just mm. assumed that was it. It's it's going to be a, a penalty. But also looking back on it, he definitely slowed down and he knew what he was doing and trying to initiate the contact. And really, after the away game last year, I couldn't really give a shit if they're unhappy with it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I completely agree. I mean, when... The referee took a while, didn't he? It was like he had his Mike Dean moment of, I'm just going to delay the process of giving the decision to build up the suspense and then I'll make them shit themselves and then I'll give the decision either way. When he when his arm pointed away from Jamie Patterson and Luke Daniels, I was just like, it was just a, a relief because I genuinely thought that that would be a penalty because as soon as you see an attacker sprinting and then the goalkeeper comes out and the attacker goes down, you're fearing the worst, aren't you? And you're thinking the referee, even if, it's a, even if there's no contact, you're thinking the referee is going to, be in favour of the attacker. So it was good to see that we actually had some some better fortunes against Swansea, and I completely agree. I loved seeing Ryan Manning cry about it, by the way, because um, Ryan Manning did crock Anthony Dykesteel last season, and nobody crocks Anthony Dykesteel and gets away with it. Yeah. Uh, well, let's move on to the, the post-match then, because uh, Chris Wilder, uh, he said he wasn't satisfied uh, with the display and he thought we could do better. Um, it's nice to know that a manager has a clear plan, isn't it, uh, Dana? Because under the previous manager, it didn't seem, it just seemed that we were hitting and hoping, giving, giving it our best, you know, working, looking for a bit of magic. Um, but it seems that we have a very clear plan under Chris Wilder, doesn't it? Yeah, and it was really good to hear him say that because... Warnock would always say it was like Warnock post-match bingo of can't fault the lads, can't fault their effort. And it got to the point where that almost became a bit of an empty statement. So it's good to see that Wilder's giving them almost a, a public challenge to step their game up, even in uh, the aftermath of a victory. I think that shows the standard. And I know that there was a Gazette article from Craig, I think, saying the same, that, that there seems to be a much much higher standard, even if we win and we drop below that, it's almost in a way not good enough. So I'm really refreshing to hear that and hopefully the players respond to it because, again, as we've said sort of last podcast, it breeds such a good mentality, a winning mentality, uh, beyond the actual three points of, right, we've got a clear plan, we've got a clear identity, we need to play that way. Even if we win and, and we don't play that way, as I said, in a way, it's almost not good enough. So it's, it was really good to hear that, really refreshing. Yeah, absolutely. Tom, would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. I think even in victory, uh, you know, having standards, if, if they're not met, there's there's nothing wrong with kind of being a little bit critical of it and saying, right, where can we improve even further going forward? It's, uh, it's really good to hear, especially because 
I think the last, uh, you know, maybe the last couple of years, including un- under under Woodgate, even if if we won, the the manager wouldn't really kind of say, "Oh, we won," but I want us to work on this. It'd always be like great performance, yeah, on to the next one, and there was ne- never really kind of any, um, you know, standards to to live up to there. It's it's really good to hear under Wilder. Is that yeah. the response that you press for footy manager, Tom? No, no, I'm I'm the same as Wilder. I'm, <laughs> I'm uh, critical even if even if we win and it's a bad performance. No get one, no the, one wants to play for me. Get Tom in the in the dugout. Oh yeah, his next manager. Oh, Tom Green, bingo, would be absolutely fantastic, wouldn't it? Like, as <laughs> we get beat one, ah, uh, well, you know, on football manager, you can turn these games around, but in, in real life, you know, sometimes it doesn't go your way. <laughs> I threw a water bottle. I don't know what else to do. <laughs> <laughs> oh, right okay so coming up next uh, we're going to delve a little bit deeper into individual performances but first we're going to have a quick message from our sponsor the Morton Your Underseas Association this season we're fundraising for the Morton Your Underseas Association Morton Your Underseas is a fatal rapidly progressing disease that affects the brain spinal cord and can make a person unable to move swallow and even breathe the mnd association is incredibly close to this podcast and we're trying to raise as much money as we possibly can to improve care and even get one step closer to finding a cure for this disease you're helping us right now by listening to this awareness message but you can go one step further by helping us achieve our target of five thousand pound by just donating what you can to www.justgiven.com forward slash the borough breakdown mnd that's www.justgiven.com forward slash the Borough Breakdown MND. So guys, let's delve a little bit deeper into individual performances. I'm going to start with Paddy McNair. Uh, Dana, thoughts on Paddy McNair? Another man of the match performance and Borough fans just seem to love where he's playing at the moment. Yeah, he is brilliant in that defensive three isn't he I mean he that is he's just a ready-made Chris Wilder player because of that he's played in a number six role he's played in midfield in number eight he's played in a back four but for me he's best in a in a defensive three he's very versatile as Paddy McNair which is a good attribute to have in a player but for me his home is definitely in that midfield uh, sorry in that defensive three is a right side of centre-back or even a left side of centre-back he's just so he's just so good in that position and yesterday epitomised it Uh, you know the block when Swansea had the ball on the edge of the box and had a shot where he came out um, and you could feel it (laughs) I felt it when that hit his thigh it hurt me so I don't know how his how his thigh was feeling after that but somebody behind me said that's how you do it and it's brilliant. Those moments just are so good to see because it's that fucking get in sort of moment of they've actually, you can see the, the I don't want to say passion because, you know, I feel like that's overused, but you can see the determination. That's probably the better word to try to keep hold of that three points and also to maintain the clean sheet. He was brilliant yesterday. And for me, man, definitely man of the match. So Tom, would you agree? Yeah, definitely. Um, I was having a, a conversation not too long ago. I, I can't remember if it was with uh, with either of you or like with with someone from work. But we were talking about McNair, and I, this would have been under Warnock. I just said he doesn't. He's not quite a defender. He's not quite a midfielder. So 
like we were talking about January, I was like, yeah, I wouldn't be against if he was sold, if it was to bring in a specialist um, player in one of those areas. I think this system suits him absolutely perfectly. Overlapping centre-back is probably the system that w- would work best for him, considering not quite a defender, not quite a midfielder. I just think it's it's so so good that the one manager who would play this system, he fits perfectly into. Um, and I just think he's found his role now and... Now it's changed in such a short time. Wouldn't even dream of of selling him now. Give him a better contract. Like <laughs> it just fits it so well. He is the yeah. first name. What one of the first names on the team sheet is he? As I said, a ready-made Chris Wilder player. I completely echo your thoughts there. And yeah, it's 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 brilliant. See, we've had a lot of discussion about Paddy McNair. Should he be in midfield? Should he be in defence? But he's he's just so good in a defensive three. Absolutely. Um, you, you were saying there, like first names on the sheet. Um, Saul Bamba, um, someone who we didn't think would even appear uh, for Millsburg much this season, uh, made his two hundredth appearance in the championship yesterday against Swansea. Have you been impressed with Saul Bamba this season? Because he's someone that no one expected game time, but he's just been a revelation um, in the backline. Dana, uh, Saul Bamba, thoughts? I think you summed up perfectly there when you said revelation I wasn't really expecting him to play too much to be honest I don't think he expected to play too much but injuries have brought him into the team and he's just been I've loved watching him to be honest he's been brilliant bar a few little iffy moments which seem to be a part of of his game admittedly but he has been almost faultless and he's I I feel like he's inspired that defence because he's vocal he's a complete inspiration he's somebody to to look up to somebody to take instructions from and he's marshalling that that defence excellently and yeah I, I've been really impressed with with Sol Bamba and hey you know there's the the under 23s manager um, or lead coach is now a Hartlepool manager isn't he so that that is a vacancy that potentially Sol Bamba could could take up Absolutely. Well, uh, good luck to Spike anyway in taking mm. that role at Hartlepool. His first win as well uh, yesterday yeah, as Hartlepool boss. Um, but yeah, Tom, what's, what makes Saul Bamba an effective player in this side then? He, he, Dana was alluding to there about his leadership qualities, but what's been making him effective? Uh, I, was, I was going to say exactly that. You know, there was a point in the match yesterday where I, I can't remember what the, the final outcome of, of it was. But Daniels had essentially came out and missed a cross. Um, and I think it had played on a little bit more from then and Swansea had shot wide. But uh, me and my mate, we, went with, we were just looking at Bamba, like absolutely giving, uh, giving Daniels L while he was laid on the floor. <laughs> and my mate's a Man United fan. He was like, what's he shouting at him for? I was like, well, I think it's just because, uh, you know, he expected a shout or something like that. But... You know, Bamba's the one telling the the keeper what to be doing, and it's not the other way around. Which you know, we probably do need a keeper to to do that. But you know, he inspires confidence in not only the back line but like the rest of the team. He's telling them what to do as well. And I think now, where you've got a team where there's certain standards that have to be met, he's going to be absolutely instrumental in making sure other people uh, meet them as well. I tell you what, though, he defends. Does Sol Bamba? He, he he. All I can say is that he defends in bold, like mm. in capitals and in bold. That's what Sol Bamba does, and the Sheffield United game epitomised it. 
Um, that was probably his best performance of the season. And he has been largely really, really solid for us, apart from obviously the few blips, the Preston game, the mistake that he made. Um, it's a shame that that happened, actually, because that's why I say almost faultless. I want to say that he has been faultless, but unfortunately because of that, I can't, but close enough. Can do it, can do it. Um, <laughs> but with, with, with Bamba, I think under Warnock, he was an interesting player because he set the tempo of how we were going to play. Under Wilder, it's changing slightly. And I think he's just being used that leadership quality that, that we, what we need in the team. It'd be interesting to see when he gets, you know, he, he does have a rest to see how Borough caught because, you know, we do have quality there. I would say Del Fry is a, a better defender than what he is. Um, in terms of, but in terms of what he's bringing to the side already, I think that can kind of surpass that at times. If you know, like not all the best players in the world, um, you know, the captains, you know, it, it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense that way. I think if someone, if they can bring a really good leadership quality and bring the standards up, then that's what you kind of need um, as a captain. And you know, it'd be interesting to see what he does probably next. I know he's only here to the end of the season, and it'd be interesting to see where where we where we put him. But and also we, we don't know who's going to be the under twenty three manager just yet. Um, but we'll see, we'll see. You never know how it could be. Um, Jonathan will get appointed under twenty three's coach. Um, so <laughs> Luke Daniels, um, clean sheet yesterday, but he has an xG of one point three. Um, and although it's eight games, he has the lowest save percentage. Um, since he was in goal for Bristol Rovers in 2010 and 2011, where they got relegated. Um, and it's at, he's currently at 52%. It was 46% at Bristol Rovers. I'm pretty sure it was a clean sheet yesterday, but would you change it or stick with um, Willow Daniels? Because he seems to be splitting Borough fans quite a lot, doesn't he, Tom? Yeah, I think so. And I think it'd be harsh to drop him after yesterday. Um, I think he did what he was needed to do to get that clean sheet. Um, and you know, I'm, I'm not fully convinced with him at the moment. I think his distributions are a bit suspect. Um, but in terms of saves, I think he had one of his better performances yesterday. Um, you know, the save from the free kick, um, you know, covering the angles for I think it was Perot's shot at the end, um, and, and also like what he did for um, you know, that penalty that never was. Um, <laughs> There's another save he made as well that off the top of my head I can't remember. He saved I, I, from Ryan Manning and he got something. That, that, that was it, yeah. yeah. Um, I think he did do well when he was called upon yesterday. Um, and the distribution, although it wasn't great at times, it wasn't as shaky as it has been. So I wonder if he is working on that part of his game. Uh, personally, I wouldn't drop him after yesterday, but jury's still out, I think. Can you not look past the distribution? Could you not look past that? Well, yeah, I mean, like like I say, he, he was he was good when he was called upon yesterday, but it's clear that distribution is going to be a big part of this uh, this style of play. Um, and just I don't have any confidence when he goes to kick the ball. I just feel like it's it's not going to go very far, or it's going to go out of play. Um, so I, I would hope that it is something he's uh, he's working on. I think we should look to adapt that personally. I think when you're looking at a keeper now on that distribution side of things. I would look to play a shot. I would look to look. I look to me centre half. I'll go look at McNair, and I look at where Mark Baller is, or I look where the other winger, or Isaiah Jones is. Get the ball to the centre half, spread out wide, and try and play in and, and try to connect that one two and get in and behind. Um, that's how I would probably look to overcome that. But distribution wise, Dana is is that probably the main reason why you're feeling a little bit shaky with Daniels as well? Not necessarily just that. I mean. 
I wouldn't necessarily agree it was better yesterday. I think there were a few times where he still shanked it and sliced it from clearances, but he just does some very bizarre things during the game. There was a moment where a corner came in and he was free. He was completely free. There was nobody around him, nobody challenging him. And I don't know whether he assumed that somebody would be challenging him because he elected to punch the ball instead of catching it. And I remember I sort of it was in my seat gesticulating and sort of thinking, why? Um, and then there was an attack that was born out of that. Uh, and then there was another moment where he dropped the ball and then caught it just inside the 18-yard box. So you're thinking, oh, God, like is the referee going to give that? Is him having handled it outside of his area? There's a few dodgy moments that he has. Um, and to be honest, I'm not... I, he doesn't give me the greatest of confidence, but I will say it, it has to be said for the interest of balance as well. He did get something on that parole shot uh, in which Paddy McNair cleared off the line. So if Daniels hadn't have saved that, because he basically did, he saved that, then I don't think Paddy McNair would have got, got there in time or he might not have got there in time. So I think uh, Luke Daniels definitely deserves credit for that. But yeah, his his saving was, was much better yesterday. But overall, I do think we'll be looking for another keeper pretty soon. Okay, then. Um, so both of you want a keeper in the January window. Uh, so that moves us on quite nicely to questions. So every week we ask you guys for questions on Twitter and you send them in the podcast and we answer them on here. Um, the first one is from David. Um, he says, is it time for Sol Bamba to have a rest? Um, Dana, Sol Bamba, rest. Yes or no? I think only Sol Bamba knows that, <laughs> whether he needs a rest or not. I mean, we are coming up to a a typically uh, busy Christmas period in which Jurgen Klopp always moans out, but I love it. I love the the quick turnaround at Christmas. The players might not, Sol Bamba might not, but ultimately I think it's probably, only he knows whether he needs a rest. But now with Dale Fry back, if he does need a rest, we've got a, a defender there ready to step in for him so I suppose we'll see with Bamari is 36 he might not be able to to really make that quick turnaround and play every game but as I said with Dale Fry back it doesn't really I don't think it'll be too much of a problem or it shouldn't be anyway yeah you don't want to rest when you're playing well as well um but next question is from Charlie and Tom he asks, uh, do you think the PR team are making more of an effort to connect with the club, uh, connect the club with the fans, with player interviews recently? Um, I'm assuming Charlie's alluding to the TAV, uh, the TAV uh, conference. Uh, apart from winning, what else can the club do to get more bums on seats realistically? So first half, I'll go with you, Tom. Do you think the PR team are making more of an effort to connect uh, the club and the fans, you know, with, obviously with player interviews? I think they are. Um, obviously, we had the the Tav one recently, but also they started their own on podcast in there. Um, is it one of our own? Um, you know, I, I think stuff like that uh, can help kind of reach out to the fans. Something I would like to see, though, and I, I think Wilder's doing a good job of this with his interviews and his press conferences since he came in, because and everyone I see kind of like on Twitter or I speak to in real life has, has been a big fan of of his press conferences and and found it kind of quite refreshing. I'd like to see an interview with Kieran Scott because I don't think we've heard a lot from him since he came in. And I think what one of the things I feel like you mentioned it in uh, one of your rebuild articles, Johnny, about getting the the fans to buy into to a rebuild and a, and a way of a way of playing. I think that would be really important, um, you know, for Kieran Scott to do to kind of say like this is the way we want to do things going forward. Um, and we haven't had that just yet. 
The rebuild thing's a, a huge, huge thing. If, if your fans aren't buying into what you're trying to build, then it's very, very difficult for it um, to really take off. And I think with, with Warnock, that it was a very short-term plan. I think all the fans bought into the short-termism of it, but then as it started to become more long-term, that's where people start to divide against that. Um, but yeah, like that whole rebuild um, blog, it, it, it could be good to maybe revisit that to see what we've done since then. Um, and Because I do think we're on the right tracks. I think that rebuild 5.0 is, is definitely... Uh, definitely getting built at the moment um, and hopefully it's here to stay but the part two side of things apart from winning what can the club do get more bums and seats realistically um, I personally think it, it's difficult because you can only probably have a, a set price for tickets I think you know that you know, I don't think you can financially do quit kid for a quid much um, but you know, apart from winning, it's it's again like buying into it. It's that PR work. It's it's also trying to connect the fans as much as you possibly can with your media. Um, I know that they're stretched to to do that, but it's it's a case of trying to get those interviews out. The podcast can work. Uh, working with fan groups a lot more. There's loads of little things you can do. I think with 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 Boren. Hopefully they can continue to do that and you know keep making an effort in the community. You know, MFC Foundation do a lot of good things. Maybe the Boris start. Delving more into that, and you never, you never know. I think, um, but it's it's up to it's it's everything that they say. It's with, with Middlesbrough, you know, you don't you don't have to lower the prices to get fans in. If if they feel valued, that's when they come in. You know, and do more fans feel valued? Then ask them. You know what I mean? Do they do they feel valued? I'd probably say some would say they do. Some probably wouldn't say that they they don't like it. So it's where Borough lie. I think um, the the ball is very much in their court. Like we've said a few things there, connecting with fan groups, um, doing a lot more work in, in, in the town with like the Charities MFC Foundation. Um, obviously winning definitely helps and also having a manager and a PR team to to drive that would help things. And what you were saying there, talking about Kieran Scott, absolutely. You want people to really buy into it every single week. Win, lose or draw, you're buying in this philosophy, you're buying in this way of playing, this way of life. And then I think that's why people probably... Um, We'll probably come back, uh, but we'll we'll see. It's definitely a slow burner, though. You know, it, it can't just be overnight. It's definitely uh, it's hopefully try and get that one percent more fans in every week. But we'll we'll soon we'll soon see. We'll soon see. Um, but next question, it's from Jake, um, and he says we have a consistent squad slash tactics starting to take shape. What outfield positions look most uh, they could do with improving? Uh, Dana, do you want to take that one? Improving. Oof, that's. It, it, the wording of that's difficult because I would say striker, but I actually quite like what more and Sparat. It's just a case of getting the competition for those players. And as we mentioned earlier in the podcast, getting the additional options to bring off from the bench. I've mentioned left-sided centre-half as well. I think to have that balance, you see in midfield, you've got the left-footed Tav on the left, right-footed Crooks on the right, and then Housen as the, the holes are in between those. Um that's brilliant balance. We need that on the on the defensive line now, or, or maybe not necessarily need it, but I think we could do with it. So potentially bringing in a, a left-footed centre-half. Then other than that, I think there's, it's not so much improvement, it's more just adding additional options for to breed competition and to, to bring him back up, I think, for me. So I would say a striker and a left-sided, uh, left-footed centre-half. And then also, actually, I've just remembered um, that defensive midfield position is probably actually my answer because you've got House in there, haven't you? But I think long term, we will be looking to replace him. And although I think he has been good under Wilder, 
long term, as I said, you're probably looking to bring somebody else in. Well, you know what? We're ninth in the championship, so every position can be improved. You know, it, 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 that's the the brutality of the game, Very really. True. If you ha- if you if there's someone who's better quality and better fit, then you know you, you've always got to change, haven't you, to try and improve the squad? Um, but next question, it's from Phil. He says, given the form of Jones, uh, do you th- do you still think we should recall uh, Jed Spence in January? Of course, we have that recall option. Um, it's the worst kept secret in football, apart from him loving Banjaros. Um, Tom, uh, should we recall Jed Spence? Yeah, I think we shall, uh, still should. Um, but like I said earlier, I think it's for competition for places in that uh, in that position. I think Dykesteel could probably play there if he was needed to, or potentially like Hernandez if you want to stick in there or something. But Spence is an out-and-out right wing back. He wasn't uh, going to get into the the team with the formation we were playing under Warnock, so it was it was best for him to go out to Forest. Um, but now that there there is a, a space for him in that team, um, it is probably best to bring him back and have that competition with Jones for that place. That's not me saying like Jones needs to to be dropped or anything because I think he is the first choice, even if Spence does come back. But it'd be nice to have a, another option in that uh, in that position. Okay, um, so the final question of the day then, um, it's from, I don't couldn't pronounce the name, so I'll just put S. Um, so it says, was that the best knee slide ever from Isaiah Jones? Um, the knee slide islands. Uh, out of 10, how much would you give it? I'd probably say an eight. Yeah, it was solid. I, I still don't think it's as good as Tav's never-ending Sol Campbell-esque knee slide when he scored against Blackburn and then also the shithousery that was doused in uh, Matt Crooks's knee slide to the Barnsley fans. I think them two and Paddy McNair's one with the salute to the standing position and the fist pump was pretty good. So it was a decent effort. He could definitely improve on it, though. Mm. It's It kind of it comes back to what makes a good knee slide. Do you know what I mean? Is is it what you is it being is on it, your knees is a start? Well, that, that, of course. <laughs> Step one: slide on your knees. <laughs> I think it's just uh, the 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 execution of. I quite like the upper body the the upper body position of of Matt Crooks for his, and then also the way that that Tav slid for his. It it seemed to go on forever. So. I, I suppose we'll have a look at the requirements, but there's definitely I've definitely got some things in mind of what makes a good knee slide. Okay. You know it, you know it when you see it. Okay, you know it when you <laughs> knee slide island. You know it when you see it. Um, <laughs> so, so coming up next then for Borough is an away trip to the Bet Three Six Five Stadium against Stoke. Um, Stoke start the season really well, of course, um, but they've had a difficult time of late. But they did win two 0 today. Um, away to QPR, the King Prince Foundation Stadium. Uh, but we caught up with Ben Riley from the YYY fi- uh, Files uh, to understand a little bit more about Stoke's season. Hey up, my name is Ben and I'm the host of Stoke City podcast, the YYY Files. And I'm here to preview Stoke City versus Middlesbrough, which is surely going to be a cold, wet, windy afternoon in December down at Stoke. So, first of all, I just better say that I'm thinking more promising things about Borough now that you have Chris Wilder as your manager as opposed to Neil Warnock. Like, even if it doesn't happen this season for you, which it looks like it could, you know, it looks like you're starting to head towards those player positions where we are. 
um, it'll happen for you at, at some point in the future under Wilder. I'm sure of that it was a great appointment. In terms of us, because that's surely what I'm here for, we started the season very well, very, very well. And we've been in the playoffs for basically the entire season. And we fell out of it very recently. And we're not looking great. Ever since that win against West Bromwich Albion, which was a terrific performance, we've had a number of injuries and it's absolutely derailed our season. Players like Joe Bursic in goal, Harry Souter in defence, Nick Powell at the back and Tyrese Campbell's only just coming back from injury. You've also got players like Sam Klukas, Jordan Thompson, Abdallah Seema, Sam Surridge has been banned, Joe Allen's been banned. And it's it's been a torrid, torrid time at Stoke for injuries. And we've we've suffered because of it. We've had a couple of losses that we really should have turned into wins, a couple of really tragic performances too. And, you know, I'm not optimistic as I was for the season ahead now. And it's, you know, runners like this because we've got you guys, QPR and Coventry in our next three games. And, you know, this is make or break for us in terms of the playoffs. I really do think that it's early days, but, you know, I, I we need to be at least making a good account of ourselves against opposition such as yourselves. So I don't know whether we'll do that. In terms of how we set up, it's with a relatively high press, or it was at the start of the season anyway. Uh, it'll be a three at the back with flying wing backs. You've got players like Jacob Brown up front who will press you very hard. You've got a midfield who has has a mixture of, of players like Mario Vrancic and Romain Sawyers who are there to bring the ball forward. And then players like Joe Allen who's there to win the ball back, even though sometimes they don't necessarily do the jobs they're supposed to. Um, our defence is looking a lot weaker. We've got Danny Bart instead of Harry Souter. James Chester seems to have been drafted in for some reason, even though he's bang out of form. Uh, and players like Leo Ostergaard and Ben Wilmot are left on the bench. I think our wing-backs have possibly been our most consistent performers this season, and even they're dropping off. The one to watch, I would say, is probably Jacob Brown. Not only his work off the ball, but his pressing, but he's showing much more promise in front of goals. I think he's already got more contributions this season than he has last season, and we're only in December, so it's looking like a good season for him. Um, and then the game itself, like I say, I'm not very optimistic for. I can see us coming undone here. I really can. Stoke have not played well in recent weeks, and we've got the game against QPR as I record this voice note for you today. And depending on how we show ourselves in this game, I think that will be a massive reflection on how we play the following week against you guys. So it depends who comes back from injury in that time too. But I wouldn't rule out you guys. It might not even have to be a smash and grab. You guys might play brilliantly and take all three points here. I'm going to be relatively optimistic and go for a draw. But the way that Stoke have been, the way that Stoke have been playing at the moment, it, it's a lottery. It really is. It'll be interesting to see how we perform, how both teams perform actually coming into this game ahead of, well, a very busy Christmas period. Um, on that note, have a great Christmas, have a great festive period to you all. And yeah, best luck for the season, other than the game, of course. Okay, so thanks for that, Ben. Um, guys, let's chat about Stork City. I didn't realise I had so many injuries in this team. Um, but we're looking at the game. Let's let's break down the form and let's see what we can... Uh, what else can we find about Stoke? Has we done a bit of uh, form previews? Yeah, so yeah. it's... It, oh, sorry, oh, Dana. Did... Oh, sorry. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Spider Man <laughs> <laughs> You talk. No, you talk. No, go on, Tom. 
Uh, I was just going to say they've been a bit up and down uh, recently. Um, so they had a couple of good wins against Luton and Peterborough. The Luton one was an away win as well. Uh, but then also lost to Bristol City and Blackburn Rovers, albeit they did have a sending off in the Bristol City game. Um, they played really well against QPR uh, earlier on from uh, from what I saw about us all three quarters of that game. Um, and, and Tyrese Campbell uh, looked a threat. Um, I'm, I'm interested to see how we, how we cope with him next week. Very, very clever footballer. Um, so saying that, Tom, should we look to change anything uh, from this one inside? You are a big believer in not changing things, but would you? Would you change it? You're going to contradict yourself massively now if you do. So uh... I, I'm not saying uh, don't ever change a, a style, just maybe, maybe the 11. Um, no, I think from, from what I said about Campbell, what I noticed was he was quite quick and he was getting in behind the defence. And it does worry me a little bit because I don't think our, our defence is the fastest. I don't think they're as fast as him anywhere. Um, so maybe just play a little bit, uh, a little bit deeper. Um just to, to kind of um, avoid that threat and probably tell uh, tell Daniels to try and channel his inner uh, Manuel Neuer a little bit and come out and try and sweep up any any balls in behind if he if he if he can uh, if there's uh, if there's a time to do it. Okay, um, Dana, would you change anything? Um, oh, it's difficult because I think their midfield has been a little bit of a problem for them. Um, of late, but obviously Joe Allen came back for the QPR game and Vrancic played very well. I watched that game as well. Vrancic was was really good. I think the key to it is to just try to press them in midfield because what QPR didn't do is press them in midfield and that's ultimately what led to Vrancic's goal. He had acres of space. Uh, they just sat off him and then he just advanced and had a shot and, and it went in the back of the net. So just don't do that, I think, is probably the, the one thing I'd say. But it was interesting when I was watching the game, a little graphic came up of uh, Stoke with under 50% possession in a game. Nine games they've had under 50% possession. They've won six of them, drawn, non lost three, averaging two points per game when they have under 50% possession. So it seems as though they're, they're pretty decent um, and they're pretty happy and satisfied with not having too much of the ball so yeah it's going to be difficult I think Tyrese Campbell, Jacob Brown Vrancic they're probably the three players that we should look out for Um, but yeah I feel like it's going to be a game in which it's not going to be very high score and I think it's going to be very tight probably one goal in it and I think it leads perfectly into my prediction Okay well let's let's talk about predictions Um... What, what are you going to go for? I think I'm going to go 1-0, but I'm I'm undecided on who is going to take that score. I know we got beat by them 1-0 last season. I think it was actually a year ago today um, that we beat we got beat by them 1-0, but I think I'm going to go with 1-0 Borough this time. 1-0 Borough for Dana. Tom? I want to go to one Borough. I think the last time I was thinking about this, uh, feeling like this about the game was Huddersfield, and they just went out and surprised me, so... Yeah, I think I'm going to go 2-1 next week. Okay, 2-1. I'm going to go 2-0. I, I, I'm just... I'm feeling lucky. I feel <laughs> oct, oct, oct 2-0 Middlesbrough uh, is just going to... Oh, no, not back. that. <laughs> um, and I think we'll win 2-0. I, just, I feel fairly confident. Appreciate they have, they've had their injuries um, this season, but 
and like Ben was saying, they're very unpredictable sides. Um, but I think if we can go there, you know, and we and we get the ball and we and it's good, and if we're very clever with it. But then also these type of games will show how far we we've came under under Wilder. I think in such a short space of time, if we if we move the ball well, you know, use the width and try and stretch them and you know, get people in behind. I think we could cause them a lot of problems, you know, and hopefully we can get that 2-0 win and I'll be absolutely buzzing. Um, palm oils for everyone, isn't it? <laughs> uh, but that's it, guys. Uh, thank you very much uh, for joining me, as always. And thank you very much for listening. Uh, for listening. And if you're still listening to podcasts, and if you haven't already, um, please do give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts if that is your podcast provider. And um, that helps us get found charters and other Borough fans will, will find us as well because of your rating. So we really do appreciate that. Um, but that's a Borough win at the Riverside under Chris Wilder. But we've done it all before. And now we're back to get some more. You know what I mean? Voulez-vous. Aha. Uh-huh.